Well, this is the first Sunday in Lent, which uh, means it is a feast day instead of a fasting day. So uh, traditionally, on the Sundays, in this time of abstinence, you can actually do whatever you're abstaining from. You know, so if you're really seeking that piece of chocolate that you've given up, which, according to Dan's chart on Thursday, was the number one thing that is uh, withdrawn from, then perhaps you could have a small nibble of it today. But perhaps if after that time of journeying with Jesus, the thing you chose as your Lenten activity to give up is fear and instead trust God, I would suggest that you carry on doing that even on the Sundays. For this season of Lent, uh, we are having a series of approaching the cross. And uh, for that, we are having almost like a a mini extension to the journeying with Jesus. It's a series where we will be taking some readings from Holy Week. And the first of these is actually on the Monday, we would find. It is the day after Palm Sunday. We'll come back to Palm Sunday in April. Um, But today we, we look at that Monday morning and the fig tree which withers. Now, according to Kew Gardens, the number of species of flowering plants is, anyone want to hazard a guess? It's a big number. It's more than 352,000. And it may be over 400,000. Q are kind of hedging their bets a bit. They're sort of saying there might be a few more and we keep discovering them. However, setting aside the tree of knowledge and the tree of life, the first plant named in the Bible is the fig tree. We have, I've lost it, we have a fig tree in the garden of Rycroft. And uh, last summer, it was huge. It was ginormous. And we could barely open the door out of the lean-to conservatory bit at at the back where Tumble Drive is, into the garden because of the size of the bush that was actually pushing against the door. So we had to go out and give it a bit of a a trim at the end of the summer. And uh, the tree had huge leaves. Now, of course, it's not grown those leaves back yet. Hopefully it will. Um, Otherwise, I might have brought a leaf with me this morning. Um... But what we also discovered as we cut it back was that it's sometimes quite itchy when it touches the skin. You know, it's one of those plants, the the sap and the leaves. So 
I don't really fancy wearing any garments made out of fig leaves. But that was what Eve and Adam did. We hear that they sewed together the foliage when they discovered their nakedness. This tree appears repeatedly in the Bible from Genesis 3 onwards, which shows how common it is to the people of the Middle East. Indeed, in 1 Kings 4, it tells us that in the days of Solomon, everyone has their own fig tree. Every family, every household. And the prophets Micah and Zechariah tell us that again in the day of the Lord, everyone will have their own fig tree. It's a sign of having plenty, of being fruitful, of God's generosity towards us. We... Sometimes take God's generosity towards us for granted. We celebrate at harvest the end of the season, but we don't really consider seasons much more, do we? If you were to go next door to the greengrocer or onto the supermarket, what we want to buy is normally there, whatever that fruit may be. I was looking the other day at labels of country of origin and the soft fruit was all from thousands of miles away. Mexico or South Africa. Once upon a time, we'd wait until the summer for raspberries. But you can have them today from Morocco rather than Perthshire. It's true that recently there's been a shortage of some veg, to some extent, due to flooded uh, flooded fields in Spain and snow in Italy. But that's causing a lower yield, not stopping the plants from growing. The parallel telling in Mark's Gospel of the fig tree which withers, reveals that the fig was out of season. It was, as Marion says, not time for it to grow, not time for it to have the fruit that Jesus was looking for. And so it might seem surprising that Jesus, a man of the region, would be looking for fruit already. He sees it as leaves and says, well, if it has leaves, let's see if it's got fruit. But it wasn't time. But perhaps we are taking his hunger and his searching too literally. Is his hunger really for edible fruit? And if it was, then why is the tree cursed? And withered, rather than caused by the power of the Son of God to yield the fruit that is required. Those of you that have been journeying with Jesus 
all the way through. We'll remember back at the start of February when David Walters was talking. We saw the Lord in the wilderness for 40 days. And the wicked one came. The one who had tempted Eve into eating the wrong fruit. And Satan suggests that stones could be made into bread. But Jesus resists evil and reminds us that man does not live by bread alone. He was not going to use his great power to meet his own desires, even after 40 days in the wilderness, let alone one night in Bethany. He uses his power to serve the Heavenly Father. Jesus did tell the experienced fishermen to do something different, and suddenly there was a net full of fish. He did enable 5,000 plus to be fed from a few small loaves and a couple of fish. He could, by the power of the Spirit, interact with the world to produce food. But Jesus uses his power to serve others, not himself. He uses it to proclaim the goodness of the kingdom, the love of the Father, and the power of God. Do we expect our power, our wealth, our faith to serve? Or do we keep it for ourselves? What happens with the tree is like a visual parable to the people. In Joel chapter 2, we discover that in the messianic age, the fig tree will bear fruit. But here for the Messiah, no fruit is present. Rather than being open to produce the fruit and limit what we do by choosing our season, we should be open to God. Instead of bearing fruit, we often wear fig leaves and then try to hide our fallen status. But however far we have fallen, there can be redemption. God continues to love us. Unlike the animal skin coverings that Adam and Eve were later reclothed in, he offers to reclothe us by forgiving us our sins and offering to us that place in heaven. The withered tree is testimony of the judgment that will come upon those who have a purpose but do not follow in the way of the Lord. Look at that word in the text. Immediately. It's going to happen quickly. The tree wouldn't have been expecting it. The disciples certainly weren't. It's an indication of how fast things will change and how quick judgment will come. The disciples somehow missed the point of the example that's been made of the tree. Instead of asking, why 
Why did you look at the tree for fruit? Of course it doesn't have fruit at this time of year. Instead of asking, why have you withered it? They are entranced by the power of what Jesus does in making it wither. They have seen the sign, but don't ask for interpretation. They must simply think that Jesus was angry with the tree. What is worse, perhaps, is that they now start to think, how can this happen? Which could be seen as, how can I make this happen? How can I have that power that withers the tree Jesus' example of faith moving mountains into the sea is a message that any prayer can be answered. Anything can be done. Nothing is too impossible for God. The moving of a mountain was similarly spoken of in chapter 17 as being possible with faith, just as it was here. But back there it's Spoken of as being faith as small as a mustard seed. Well, sometimes there's prayers that we bring. And we think, well, how, how small is my faith? Because what I prayed might not have been answered. We might pray deeply from the heart. We might have prayed with faith and expectation. We are ready with our red umbrellas. Some of you will know what I'm mentioning there. From Monday morning prayers and from a church meeting the other week. And if you don't. I think there might be still some little cards over there to pray expectantly. When you pray for rain, in some cultures, expect there to be rain. We come with hope. But sometimes the rain doesn't fall and the mountain doesn't throw itself. Even though Jesus says, if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. In Matthew's Gospel, healings occur when the, when the petitioner has faith. The blind man sees. The paralyzed man walks. Jairus' daughter comes from, back from the dead. A woman merely needs to touch the Lord's cloak and she is healed because of their faith. Each of these seems unlikely, but they trusted and it was answered. Our faith involves having a relationship with God, discerning his path and trying to find the right words to pray. Not simply words that we choose ourselves. Not words from our season, but from the season that the Lord 
is wanting to bring us into. God could move Mount Everest, but why would he want to move it? I suspect it is unlikely that would be his will. Though, of course, it does move slowly. It varies in height occasionally. We maybe just don't see it in the way we would expect. The mountains we sometimes climb metaphorically can also be moved. When someone we dearly love is in great need of prayer, when we are concerned about justice issues or the persecuted church, when we are ill or feeling lost, we can cry out to God, and God will hear those cries. And if we come with faith, if we are in our right relationship, our cries will be heard. But if we are in that right relationship, we will be praying what he wants us to pray. That his will may be done and that his kingdom will come. Which is how Jesus taught us to pray. He will hear. He will answer. The fig tree in our reading did not bear juicy fruit. But it did serve a purpose. It became a sign to us of Jesus' judgment. May we each seek God's direction. May we trust in him. And may we serve our proper purpose. Amen.